0: Tonight we're looking at the verses 5 through 9, and this one is set up for bond servants. And I was sure we did a word study on bond servants when we went through James. And I went back through the James we just did recently, and also the one we did about uh, a bunch of years before that. And on neither of those did I do a study on the word bond servant. So I went through all the outlines that we have uh, done, and I couldn't find a word study on any. In any of those on this this, but I sure have it in my head that we did, but since I can't find it, we're just going to go ahead and, and take a look at that because this word is is really important for us to understand and so we're going to spend some time on that word bond servant last week we're looking at obedience we did a word study on obedience we saw that obedience comes from hearing, not obedience that comes from persuasion that some people in the Christian circles are trying to persuade the evil one, their flesh, so forth, to obey. We're not here to persuade. We are here to give the command, and upon hearing, they need to obey. That includes evil spirits, sin, our flesh. They do not obey because of your position. If they obeyed merely because of your position, then every Christian would walk in victory. So we see that it's that um, they obey because of our voice and because of their subordinate position. If you say nothing, they have nothing to obey. So it's important that we say things and that we speak things. And of course, in Mark 11, we saw not only do we have to speak things, we have to believe them. And so that's why we get into the Word of God to build up our belief that we believe that what God's Word said is true so that the things that we say have something behind it. We spend some time... uh I think, it, I'm not sure which one it was in, Sunday or or, or Wednesday, where was Sunday, where you need to have something behind the words that you say. There had have to be have some decent substance to it. We were using that example of the pole, and Max couldn't knock the pole over. But if you get something with enough substance behind it, you can knock it over. A lot of Christians are going after support poles with not enough behind them, because they haven't built up that belief in the Word of God. Uh, we also saw that as a Christian, you are not um, insubordinate until such time as you act uh, in an unsubordinate way. That just because you don't know to do a thing doesn't mean that you are insubordinate. It just means you don't know. But once you find out, then you can be insubordinate or you can be in submission. So here in the word, Ephesians 6, verse 5, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. This word bondservants comes from the Greek word doulos. It is a slave or literally, uh, literal or figurative, involuntary or voluntary. It can mean either one. It is, and uh, uh, frequently it is there, therefore in a qualified sense of subjection or subservience. It is derived, most people see this word as derived from the Greek word deo, which means to tie or bind. But there are some who see this coming from the Greek word dado, which means to ensnare or capture. It's a very similar meaning, but either way, this is showing some kind of a bond or some kind of a tie. That comes from Thayer's. Uh, He also has this part of the definition. One who gives himself up wholly to another's will. One who gives himself up wholly to another's will. It is uh, devoted to, to another to the disregard of one's own interest. Devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interest. That's what this word is meaning. Vines adds this to it frequently indicating subjection without the use of bondage. This word occurs 127 times in 119 verses. It is the most used word when it comes to servant. But I want to take a look at some of the other uses for this and do a little study on this so we understand this. A lot of times people read this area of scripture And they're looking at this as just talking to people who were in a bondage type of servanthood, which was not uncommon during that day. And if we understand this word, we'll get a little bit better meaning from it. So in Matthew chapter 8, now I just really went through, the. as far as the Gospels are concerned, I just did this with Matthew. If you go to a lot of the other uh, Gospels, this same word is going to be used for the same instances. But just about every parable, you're going to find this word in it. Because a lot of Jesus' parables is talking about a master and servants. And every time you see master and servant, this is the word that shows up. So when Jesus is using this uh, in, in his parables, when he uses this word, he is talking about this type of a servant relationship. And we all know that our relationship between us and God is not one of bondage. We are not bound have to do what he says. There is a voluntary submission to it. But here in Matthew 8 9, For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go. And he goes, and to another one, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So here he's showing there are certain soldiers. Those soldiers are not servants. But I do have servants. And so this is where that word is used. So a soldier is one who is hired and he's under the authority structure, but a servant is still under the same authority structure that he is discussing here. In Matthew 10:24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. A disciple, that's not our word, is not above his teacher, nor a servant, that is our word, above his master. Matthew 13:27. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed into your field? How then does it have tares? This is the parable of the tares. The servants that are in the story are doulas. This is the word that is used for it. Matthew 18:23. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted, wanted to settle accounts with his servants. That's our word. And I'm not going to read the entire parable. I just want you to see a few of these things here. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. This is the servant who was forgiven the great debt. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants. That second word, fellow servants, is not our exact word, but it is the word doulos with the word soon in front of it, which means companion. He went out and found one of his companion douloses or companion servants, who owed him a hundred denarii because he was in debt to him. It put him in a subservient position. Uh, Matthew twenty twenty seven. whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, or our, it's our same word there, doula, so you can put in their servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your servant. In verse 3 of chapter 22, and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. So he sent out the servants in the wedding feast to call those who were in the, the wedding feast to come. In Matthew twenty-five fourteen, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. This is the parable where his uh, where the talents were given out. But look at this wording here in verse twenty-one. His lord said to him, "Well done, good and faithful servant. Good and faithful doula.s Isn't that words we want to hear? How many of us have said that's the words I want to hear when I get to heaven? I want to hear, well done, good and faithful." Servant. Well, the word there is doulas, which means servant. It can be one by, uh, in, in that day, could be one that was a, uh, we would call it a slave. We would call them a slave. We would call them forced. Or, but as, as far as God is concerned, we don't see that area of forced. We see that area of willingly submitted, willingly put under we're going to see that even more so in some of the verses that are to come but i want you to see that jesus uses this word quite extensively whenever he's talking about all these about all these servants but watch this now this is the words we want to hear right well done good and faithful servant this one will, this one's going to throw you just a little bit verse 26 but his lord answered and said to him you wicked and lazy do you wicked and lazy servant. He uses the exact same word for servant for the man who was lazy, for the man who was wicked, for the man who did not submit to his will. No, (laughs) not at all. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. In verse 30, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, this is not a magic word that if we become the doulos of God, that we are automatically in. Because here he is called the doulos, but he's cast into of darkness because he was unprofitable. He did not do the will of the master. He called himself a servant. John 8:34. Jesus answered them, "Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave, or a servant, of sin." And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Well, you could spend a little bit of time on that. But just see, that this word here is brought in on this scripture. Whoever commits sin is a slave or a servant of sin. All we need to do is give in and commit the sin, and we become a servant to that sin. That's because of the actions that we had taken. Now, if I want to break that hole, how do I do it? Quit sinning. <laughs> quit sinning. If I quit sinning, I break that hold. But as long as I give in to that and keep doing it, then I keep allowing that hold to be over me. Now watch this one. Here's the, these are the ones I want you to see in the epistles. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Paul, a bondservant of, of Jesus Christ, he uses this word for himself. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Later on, in chapter six, verse sixteen, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether to sin, or wh- whether of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness? So he's using the same thing that Jesus had taught on in the book of, of John. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. I speak, jumping down to verse 19, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Now, we can get into all kinds of stuff with us, that that passage there, but I just want you to see the use of the word servant in there. That you can become a servant of sin, you become a servant of righteousness. It's up to you. Second Timothy 2.24 And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. So if you're going to be one who is a servant, or a bond servant, or one who comes in, and the Greek word doulos, This is the kind of servanthood you are to God. If you're going to come in and do that, then this is how you are going to behave. You are going to not quarrel. You're going to be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. He goes on, that list keeps on going. You can go read the rest of it. But this is how he describes one who is a servant of the Lord. Titus 2 and verse 9, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. I really wanted to see that part of not answering back. How many times have we wanted to answer back? To a, you got a boss who says some things, and you want to answer back some things that they have said. But apparently that's that's not there. We're also not supposed to answer back to God. We may not like some of the things that God asks us to do, or God's called us to do, or, or God says, you need to be this way here in this situation. I don't want to be that way. Don't answer back. Yes, sir, I will do that. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. Both well, interesting how James uses this because James is actually the half-brother of Jesus, but he uses this term to describe himself and his relationship to Jesus. Not his half-brother status, but I am a bondservant to Jesus Christ. A very powerful way that he describes himself. So James sees himself this way. Paul sees himself this way. 1 Peter 2:16, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. He's calling all of us. This is how we should all be. We should see ourselves as bond servants of God. Second Peter 2:19, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. They are slaves or they are doulos, of corruption. That's the Greek word. Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Again, he's identifying himself as a bondservant. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, that is his bondservants, things which must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. So John is a bond servant. We are called to be bond servants. Revelation 7, 3, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So out of the 127 uses, how many did I give you? (laughs) Not even a quarter of them, right? You can go through pretty easily and find all... All of them on your own, if you if you like to. Um, a lot of them in the Gospels are just repeats of the same same story. But what I want you to see is this is not a bad word. This is not a word to look at and say, "Oh, I don't want that kind of uh, 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 forced slavery." Uh, that's not what this word is is discussed. This word can be used in that way, but since Paul describes himself this way. John describes himself this way. Jude describes himself this way. James describes himself this way. We are called to describe ourselves this way. We're called to have this kind of relationship between us and God. This is not something that is supposed to be forced. This is not something that, uh, this is something that we yield ourselves to. Now, we were bought. We were bought with a price. But he never uses that bought price and says, hey, I, I bought you, you're mine. It is still up to us to put ourselves under him. But that is where this word is. That is what this word is, is doing. So this is what he talks about, bond servants. He may, be refer, he may have in mind some of those people that were in slavery because in this, in this world, different people, in, in, there were some Jews that were enslaved, the Romans enslaved many different types of uh, the people that are around them. Uh, other nations, other countries had slavery as part of it. And so he could be looking at that and some of those people that were free were brought into that kind of slavery or bondage and then they got saved. And he's, he's writing to them, all right, you got saved. Um, is it the book of Philemon that is written about a person who was in slavery? And Paul, he came to Paul, he got saved. Paul sent him back to the one who was called his master And he says, look, I'm sending him back to you. Now, you owe me your life. (laughs) I think you ought to just let him and be free, but I'm going to leave it up to you when you do what you you think that you ought to. But just remember, you owe me your life. (laughs) I love the way that Paul Paul phrased that. But um, when you understand this section of Scripture, we have to understand it in all types of relationships and not just in that one. So if you are in an employee situation, you can understand what he's teaching here in the employee situation if you are in a, any kind of relationship where you have willingly put yourself under then this is what he's writing about and he, he hits both he hits the, the servant and he hits the master and so there are things for us to learn on, on both of those fronts so if we're going to be a bond servant of Jesus I wrote four things in here in your checklist if we're called to be bond servants of Jesus we've got to make sure that these four things are going on in our life You don't have any blanks <laughs> I gave her off. All right there for you. First off, we got to be submitted to his will, which means we look to know and understand it. There's too many Christians out there in this day. There were too many Christians in Paul day. There were too many Christians in all the days that happened between Paul and now. People say, well, I don't think God would. I don't think God meant. I don't think God wants. And it doesn't matter what you think. You need to do the research. You need to get into the Word of God and find out what the Word of God teaches you about what God thinks on that. Because most times, we just don't like what we think the Word is saying. And so I don't think God means for that because I don't like it. And God would want me to do something that I don't like. <laughs> now, that is not true. <laughs> that is not true at all. There's many times, God, will ask you to do some things that you don't like. And um, we just have to be willing to do them. And God says, look, I know this is not the thing that you want to do, but I need this done. Can you get in there and help this person? And we can say no. And he's not going to force us. He'll go on and he'll find the next person. And ask them. And then he'll go on and find the next person. But we keep telling God no. He's eventually going to stop coming around. And we're not, he's not going to be, you're not going to be his go-to person. So first off, we've got to be submitted to his will, which means I study to find out what his will says. I make sure that I understand it. And i got to put myself out there to do it. Why am I doing this? Because God said he wanted me to. I'm not doing it because I want to. I may want to. And if you want to, how much easier is that? But just because you don't want to doesn't mean that you shouldn't. There's a whole lot of things that at work I mean, y'all know that whatever work you got, there are some parts of the job that you like, and there are some parts of the job that you do not like. But you can't pick and choose and say, well, I like this one, but I don't like this one. So I'm not going to do that one. I'm going to keep on doing this one over here. Uh Nope, that's that's not going to be it. When I used to work for Kelsner's, there were different parts of the job I like. I love selling stuff. I love delivering stuff. I loved... Getting inside the stores and, and fixing up their displays and interacting with the, the people that, I love that aspect of it. That was, that was great. I didn't like the paperwork. I didn't like getting all the money together in an order. And, uh, but you had to do that. And so, uh, you know, I would, I would, uh, get to doing that and the, the person that I would turn this all into, they were kind of picky about how the money came in. They wanted all the money in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't care about all the money being in the same direction but she did. Mm-hmm. So I would spend the time to make sure that all the ones are facing in the same way and that all the fives and all the tens and all the money all have it all going in the same direction and that all the checks are in there and mm-hmm. and uh, add, them, add them all up and and uh, sometimes I would add them all up and then she would come up with a different total. Mm-hmm. And if she came up with a different total she'd just set it aside And she said, I came up with a different total. And I'm pretty sure that more often than not, I was the one who was making the mistake because I don't like that kind of paper. She did. She liked that. That's her job. That's all she did all day was that kind of paperwork. She liked that kind of paperwork. I really would have just rather come on in, dump the money out there. Here's the money. Here's the checks. Figure it out. I'm going out there. And and, because I always looked at it this way. I'm not making them any money when I'm trying to figure out how much money I got. I'm not making them any money doing that. I'm making them money being out there in the, in front of the customers and, and selling stuff and, and I could sell stuff. I had a, I had a talent for selling horseradish. <laughs> that won't get you very far in life, but <laughs> it, it helped them in, the, in what we were doing and I was able to sell stuff and I was able to, to, uh, um, to accomplish that, but not so much on the, didn't like the paperwork side of the, I things. Uh, didn't, there was some paperwork I liked. I love keeping records of how much I sold. I absolutely love that. In fact, I developed the whole system to develop how uh, I had sold, and it took me about a a full year to even make it worthwhile. And the more years I was with the company, the more worthwhile it was. I got so good at the records that I could tell our production manager, in six months, I'm going to need this much horseradish, this much cocktail sauce, this much tartar sauce on the truck. And he was so shocked when I gave him one summer, I gave him my entire inventory. I'm going to need this for this week in July, this week in July, this week in July. And then in August, I'm going to need this. And I gave him the entire thing. He was so shocked at it. When he came up short on stuff, he says, you get what you asked for because you gave me plenty of notice. No one else gave me notice like that. You gave me plenty of notice. He would sometimes come over and say, can I take a look at your notes and see what you have going on there? And I made all kinds of notes on that. I knew what the weather was because the weather impacted things. I knew all kinds of uh, little factors about it. In fact, when I was in with the customers, I could tell them there, all right, well, last year, this time for this holiday, this is what you sold, but it was a real sunny weekend. It's not going to be so sunny. You're not going to need as much. So I'm going to give you this much. And they would say, that's great, whatever you think. And I had done it so long with them. They said, we don't care. Just do whatever you think you want to do. Which saved me time, so now I'm spending less time giving them better service and now I'm out there selling more stuff. And so it was a, it was a good thing. So I like that, I don't know why that kind of paperwork worked, but trying to put all that money into the column and turn it into cash money and the checks money, I didn't like that kind of stuff. So there's different parts of your job that you like and different parts that you don't like, but it doesn't mean that you can just not do the parts that you like. And so God is going to say, whatever job that we have in His kingdom, well, God, I don't like this this part of the job. God says, yeah, but I need you to do it. And so we submit to his will. We submit to do what he needs us to do. Because we are a servant. I may be a son, but I'm also a servant. So submit to his will. Learn it. Know it. Understand it. Put it to work. Secondly, I've got to love as he loves. I don't care whether you're a husband, wife, not a husband, not a wife. It makes no difference. I need to love as he loves. A husband is commanded to love this way towards his wife, but we're commanded to love each other this way. And so I gotta love as he loves, which means I gotta study how he loved. I gotta get that love working on the inside of me. I gotta give up my will to his will, just like Jesus did in the garden. Not what I will but what you will. And fourth, got to become devoted to him to the disregard of my own interest. This is what Paul was talking about. There are not many people that are like-minded. There are a lot of people out there in the kingdom of God. They still have their own interest. I'll do this for God as long as I can get something out of it, as long as there's something in it for me, as long as I benefit in it somehow. You've got, you got to become devoted to Him to the disregard of your own interest. You want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. These are four things you got to have going on. How would you say you're doing as far as this checklist is concerned? You can use your inside voice on that one. <laughs> Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now this word here for obedient, May not surprise you, it's exactly the same word that we just studied last week. It means to listen to and obey a command. Does not mean be persuaded. It means to listen to and to obey the command. It means as a bond servant, to whoever it is who's the master, which could be your boss. Whoever that might be, whoever it is that you answer to, it is not their job to convince you to do it a certain way. It is their job to tell you to do it a certain way. It is their job to say. Now, you may have a different view on it, and you can certainly bring up that view. Well, if we did this way, we might be able to gain these kind of results. And if they say, you know what? That's a good idea. We might be able to do that. Let's go ahead and give that a try. Then you can go ahead and give it a try. But if they say, no, we're not going to do it that way, then you do it the way that they say. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. They are not your masters according to the Spirit. We only have one master in according to the Spirit. They are not that. But they are your masters according to the flesh. So they can tell your flesh your, that your flesh needs to show up at work at 8 a.m. in the morning. They may tell your flesh that you show up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They may tell you that there's some other days that they teach they you for. Whatever it is, they, they may tell you the schedule and and you have to go out there and to, and to do that. You are, uh, they are masters according to the flesh you look around at the workforce today that we have. There's a whole lot of people that are showing up for work. But that's it. They're there. My uh, mother-in-law works at a, at a spot, and she's always telling us the stories of the people that are in there. They're not there to work. They just come in, and they sit on their phone all day. Well, that's not uh, doing what the Master has said. Master would be the person that's so over the store. we got to make sure that we listen. Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Now, this is always a fun one here. With fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now, what's he mean here by fear and trembling? Am I supposed to fear those people? And especially if you only look at this as far as a slave-master relationship is concerned, fear and trembling, I don't like that. I don't like that whole idea of fear and trembling between the master and a slave. That's, that's, that's not good. Well, that's not exactly what he's talking about here. And so I went that and, and took a look at this phrase. This phrase, fear and trembling, is used a couple other places in the Word of God. First off, it's used in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3. I was with you in weakness and fear, in much trembling. This is what Paul says, talking about the Corinthians. Well, if you understand what happened with the Corinthians, he had just come from Athens. In Athens, he didn't have a whole lot of success. They had a lot of arguments, they had a lot of discussions, but there was not a whole lot of success. And so when he comes before the Corinthians, he sees a a city that is completely overcome by demonic influences, completely overcome by idolatry. They have all kinds of temples built around here for different idols, different goddesses, different gods, and they spend a lot of time worshipping them. This is a big part of their culture. And here comes Paul, after he just came out of Athens. Not a whole lot of success. And so he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. In other, what, what he saw here, he's not afraid of them in a fear and trembling like we're thinking. He is thinking, I'm here to do the will of God. I wasn't very successful before. Look at all these factors that are here against me. And here I am. What can we do? He was realizing how small he was, how small he felt, how insignificant he felt, what he saw that was against him. He realized how much he depended on God to get this thing done. That's what he writes the rest of that about. How God came, and he didn't come to him with persuasive words. He came there with him with power, that God had shown up, and that power had come through. In Philippians 2, in verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's our, there are some things that are against us as far as having our salvation materialize in this world. And there's a lot of people that come against us. There's a lot of forces that will try and come against you. And you can feel small, but you realize how much it is you depend on God. And how much you need God to come through that fear and trembling is not being afraid of the enemy, but I need to have that relationship with God going because if my tie with God is not coming through, I'm not going to overcome these things. People are not going to see the victory that they could walk in they're not going to see the victory that I walk in that's where there's the other two places where we see this this phrase being used be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh." with fear and trembling, insincerity of heart as to Christ. So you don't look at them, you don't look at your masters in such a way that you're nothing, you're nobody to me, I'm better than you, you can't do this to me. No. There's a respect. There's that fear and trembling. But then he also attacks in this part, insincerity of heart. That means you don't just go in there and try and have eye service. Just uh, try and and uh, say the right words. Just say what they want you to hear. Oh, yeah, 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 we'll do it that way. And then you go from there and you're not going to do it that way at all. Or, oh, wait, quick, the boss is coming. Boss is coming. Get busy. Everybody look busy. <laughs> and then when the boss goes away, oh, everybody goes back to what they're doing. They pull out their phones. They start reading, texting, doing all the different things that they were doing. That's uh, There's not sincerity of heart there. Here's the last part he adds as to Christ. What you have, and what he is writing about, is whatever bond servant relationship that you are in, whatever it might be, whether it's forced, whether it's not forced, whether it's your free will, whether it's not your free will. He says, I don't care what it is. Whatever the relationship, however you got into there, when you are in that relationship, you do this thing with fear and trembling, and you do this thing with sincerity as, heart, as unto Christ. Because this is a physical aspect where you can demonstrate what is going on spiritually. Remember the Word of God talks about if you can't love those whom you can see how can you say you love those whom you don't? What we do in the seen world demonstrates what we can do in the unseen world. If you can't get this done in the realm that is seen, how can you tell God I'm doing it in the realm that is unseen? More than likely, if you've got a bad heart, if you've got a bad attitude, it's going to come out in these situations. And when you see it in these situations, this is what I need to deal with. Because if I can get this right with my masters, so to speak, with my bosses, with the people that are over me in the workplace, if I can get this right here, then I know I can get my spiritual life right with God. And that one is more important. But this is the one where it's going to show me where my flesh is coming out and my spirit is not strong enough to overcome that. So again, reading this, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Make sure that you do this with all sincerity. They may not be watching you, but do it with all sincerity. One of the, When I was over at Kelcher's working on that, one of the things that I would do one of the things they would do in the company is every two hours, they were required to give a 15-minute break. They were required to do it. Um, I hated it when I worked in the plant. I hated it. I don't take breaks. I show up at work, and I work until I until I leave. I might take a lunch, but I don't take these breaks. And so when I was working there in the plant, what me and the production manager, we were, we would work through the break and keep the production thing going. But when I was out on the road, I didn't know anybody was watching this. But we had. I have a little card, and there's no punch clock. I had to write in. I started at 4 a.m. Nobody saw me start at 4 a.m. They only know I started at 4 a.m. because I wrote it down. Started at 4 a.m. And I would write in there, lunch. And I would take 30 minutes off for the lunch because I would go into the Wawa, and I'd get a hoagie, and then I'd eat it before i start to, to drive. And I would write off whatever time it was. I never took lunch at noon because the lines were too long. You'd waste time in the long line. I'd take lunch at 10. I'd take lunch at 1 or 2 or something like that just just so it was off time so I could go in, get it done, and come on out. And I never knew that anybody noticed that, but, you know, they're not there to pay me for lunch. I could, in my mind, work it out where they're supposed to give me a 15-minute break every two hours. I'm working about 12 hours a day, so every two hours that gives me six 15-minute breaks, and I could just... <laughs> my mind did go there. I was thinking about that. No, no that's not that's not right. It's my choice that I don't want to take a break uh, that that I want to keep on going out there, but I did write that in there. And one time, that lady who uh, turned all the paperwork into, yeah, she made mention of it. She says, I noticed that you write yourself out every time for lunch. She said, I really appreciate that you do that. She says, not everybody who's on the road does that. They just kind of uh, bypass all, all that. And we kind of have to just uh, take them at their word and and just going through, and she mentioned the one driver who goes on the longer hauls than I did, and he said, I sometimes see some of the receipts. <laughs> I didn't know people looked this closely at it. She said, I would look at some of the receipts, and he would stop and get a rib dinner or rib lunch, ribs. And uh, I would see the receipt, and we would pay the receipt for his lunch. We could see what time he got it. He got it from the they mapped all this stuff out. Uh, but he never wrote off any time. And we asked him that. He says, "Well, I eat while I drive. You can't eat ribs and drive. <laughs> you can't do it." So she uh, made a made a comment one time. She said, "I appreciate that you do that." I said, All right. So people do do watch, but you see, if you can't if you can't come into doing the rules at your job, don't tell me that you can do the rules that are needed to develop you spiritually. You won't do it. You got to get those things in. That's why he's throwing that in there. And that that helps us out. So that's verse 5. Going here to verse 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. This is where we have to get. In sincerity of heart, you said in verse 5, doing the will of God from the heart. You do this not from the head. The head says, well, this is what it says I have to do. This is is the requirement of the rule. This is the requirement of the law. I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll do this. No, you do it from the heart. You don't do it, well, yeah, but Sally, but Joe, they didn't do it. They, they, they uh, get, get away without doing all this. Why do I have to be the one that does it? Why do I have to take the hit on my paycheck? They're not taking the hit on their paycheck. Why do I have to do it? No, nope, we do it because we're, we're going after something greater. If I can't get a handle on these things that are natural, I'm not going to get a handle on these things that are spiritual. And the things that are spiritual matter more. But I can see them evident in these things that are natural. You cannot tell me that you have the natural um, not under control, but you've got the spiritual under control. This is what he's he's basically telling them. Not with eye service. Don't be men-pleasers. Don't just do things to please men, because we're not here to please men, we're here to please God. Even in the workplace, even in these relationships, these bond servant relationships where you have a master or you have a boss, You've got somebody over you, somebody who says, this is what I want you to do. And then you have to go out there and accomplish that will. You're in that relationship. That's a natural relationship. They cannot govern anything but your natural self. They cannot govern your spiritual self. But if you don't get that under control, if you don't do this with the right attitude, your spirit isn't going to be right. And God wants you to take care of that. So he's going to say, look at this natural realm. This is out of whack because it's a reflection of what's going on spiritually. But you haven't come to, to to come to uh terms with that. So not as not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. So now we're no longer bond servants to the master, we're bond servants to Christ. So when you work in the workforce, you are doing what you do unto God. Isn't there a verse of scripture that talks about that? Sure is. Whatever we do, do your work heartily to the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. That's what we have to keep in mind. So, Sally and Joe, they may not serve God. And they may get away with this stuff in the natural, because they're not trying to bring their spirit into into the right place. But you serve God. And you want to be able to hear when you get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. This is just a master as far as the flesh is concerned But what he is teaching you here in Ephesians. You are a bondservant of Christ. Therefore, how you act in this bondservant relationship will reflect on what's going on in your bondservant relationship with Jesus. Doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So what you're doing you're not doing this to men. Don't be looking at this to, uh, to men. Every time that you get on the, on the phone with an honorary customer, every time some honorary customer walks into the place and you've got to take care of them, check them out in the register or, or uh, deal with them however it is that you deal with them, whatever it might be, they do some, some nasty, <laughs> mean things with goodwill doing service as to the Lord, not to men. I'm always keeping this in, in mind. I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You'd be surprised at what people do to watch this. Cause I, I sure learned that just going out there and just delivering horseradish. They they were amazing how much they, they watched I had customers, by the time I got finished well, I was doing that route for a couple of years, it didn't take me more than a couple of years, hardly anyone checked me in. They didn't check my work. If I told them I brought in 10 cases of this, 20 cases of that, I rotated it all into your stock, no one came and checked it, ever. They just didn't do it. In fact, my largest customer, a customer who would take thousands of dollars every week, thousands of dollars every single week, they left me completely alone. I hauled everything up. I put everything away. I rotated all their stock. I came on down. They, they didn't even ask me the question anymore. Is it all there? They wouldn't even ask me that. They'd say, where's the bill? Signed it. They signed the bill. I take the bill over. They, they paid it on the spot. Got the check, take it on back. Because they understood, if I am faithful in certain things here, I'll be faithful in that. And I, uh, and if they didn't check me in, I sometimes went back, I've got to make sure that I did that right. So I go back up there. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, I did get them all right there. Alright, good. And, and you gotta, you gotta make sure that you're doing it right. If your heart attitude is right, it will affect the people that are around you. They will see some things. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. He will receive the same from the Lord. So whatever it is that you're working for from the master that you have down here on earth, whatever it is that you work for, that you're receiving from them, you will receive the same from the Lord. And then he goes on here, whether he is a slave, dolos, or free. And that word there for free means freeborn or one who ceases to be a slave. When he says that word free, he is talking about someone who was either born free, not a slave, not born a slave, or one who stopped being a slave. could be either way. So it doesn't matter whether you were in a slavery situation or whether you were in a free situation. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Either way. Now when he's talking about the slave situation there, he's talking about people that were bought with a price, Had no freedom of their own. Had to accomplish certain things. And a lot of times there wasn't a whole lot of reward for it. And he says, whatever it is that you got, the Lord's gonna give you. He's gonna give you. Now if he didn't, if you didn't get the right wages down here, don't worry about it. God'll make sure he'll give you the right wages. He'll do the right thing. But you gotta have the right attitude. If you don't have the right attitude, this isn't going to work for you. And you masters. So he's, he's not done. Now. We, we, heard, we hit the bond servants first. We hit the people that are under. Now we're going to hit the people that are over. And you masters. Do the same things to them. He's talking about masters that are saved. There's a lot of masters out there that were not saved. There's a lot of bond servants out there that were not, slave, not saved. But you masters do the same thing to them. Giving up threatening. Knowing that your own master also is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. So you masters, you people that have doulasses, servants under you, you make sure you do the same thing. And the first thing he says is give up threatening. Give up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven. And there is no partiality with him. When you get there, he's not going to say, well, you were a master, you were a slave, you were a servant. He's not going to say that. He's going to have you come on up and he's going to have you step forward. Let's take a look at what you did with what you had. Just in case, I, I think I missed a blank here for you, but number four, whatever we do is service to God and not just to men. If, 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 there is an if with this. Whatever we do is service to God and not just to men. If, we serve with this attitude. If you do not serve with this attitude, then what you do for men will not fit that. You've got to have this attitude. Slave or free, it makes no difference. Whatever we do in service is service to God and not just to men if we serve with the attitude he described. And masters ought to be in a similar way to the servants or to the employees that they have. Now, He specifically talks here about threatening. If threatening is something they are to give up, because again, we're looking at all the situations that are here. When he started this out in verse 1, the first thing he talked about, wives submit, husbands love, children obey, servants, masters we have here. That's five different groups. But here in this last group, with the masters, He tells them to give up threatening. If threatening is something that they are to give up, what do you think is expected of parents? What do you think is expected of husbands? What do you think is expected of wives? Give up the threatening. If you as a parent are always threatening the kids in order to get them to obey, he's telling you right here, it's not going to work for long. Or it's not going to work well. You can't get into the threatening. You can't get into always reasoning. There are times that the child needs to just obey. Because there's an urgency that is there. But you've got to train them that way. You've got to teach them this this sort of thing. How many times do we not obey the voice of God and it was urgent that we did? And we expect God to have some mercy towards us. But we're not willing to give that same mercy out. We skipped over a lot of that story. But that was the story of the forgiven servant. He was forgiven a great deal, but he was not willing to forgive something to someone who was a fellow servant or serving servant on the same level as he was. If threatening is something that is is supposed to be given up by the masters, then we also ought to give it up. Wives need to stop threatening their husbands. Husbands need to stop threatening their wives. Parents need to stop threatening their children, and certainly children should not be threatening their parents. Nor should we be threatening God. How many times do we threaten God? God, if you don't do this, I'm going (laughs) to. If you don't do this for me, I'm never going to church again. If you don't do this for me, I'm not praying anymore. If you don't do this for me, I'm telling everybody, it don't work. We're not here to threaten God. And masters are not here to threaten those that are under them either. Don't do the threatening. How well do you think threatening works in an office? How much do you want to work in an office where threatenings are, are working? We don't want to do that. I don't want to work in that kind of office. And your kids are not going to want to stay in your home if they have threats all the time. As soon as they can, they'll get out. Wives are not going to want to stay in the home if the husbands are threatening all the time. Husbands are not going to want to stay in the home if the wives are threatening all the time. Threatening does not do any good. creates a bad environment. Knock it off. We are not there to do it. We can all sit back there and say, yeah, well, masters, they shouldn't be doing that. We don't like those kind of... Yeah, and you shouldn't either. So, are you a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you a doulas? that's the Greek word, of the Lord Jesus Christ? And if so, what evidence can you cite? Do so you have some evidence that you could show forth that I am a servant of the Lord? Our flunch wants... Flesh wants to make sure that others submit, that others love, and that others obey. That's your flesh. The flesh nature in a wife threatens the husband, you need to love me. The flesh nature in a husband threatens the wife, you need to submit to me. The flesh nature in a parent causes them to threaten the kids, you need to obey me. That's the flesh. It's not your position, it's your flesh. Our spirit is first and foremost focused on being submitted because there's places where all of us are to be submitted. Our spirit is first and foremost focused on being submitted, loving, and obedient, where we are asked to be by God's Word. My spirit is always looking at what do I need to do to bring myself into a place of submission where I am to be submitted, To be loving where I am supposed to be loving and to be obedient where I am supposed to be obedient. What am I needing to do? Our flesh wants to look at what other people need to do. Our spirit wants to look at what I need to do. If you're more concerned about who is not doing what to you or for you, you lost the God focus and the example of Jesus that we have been given. Nowhere are you responsible for what others do? You are not responsible for your husband. You are not responsible for your wife. You are not responsible for your boss. You are not responsible for your employees. Even if you give your children a perfect environment and example, they may still choose to disobey God. And there are those who were in terrible homes, terrible parental situations, who came out and obeyed God you can look at David as one of those examples. you can look at um, uh, Josiah the king came out of a horrible home and decided to serve God. there are others who came out of terrible home situations but decided to serve God. there are others who came out of wonderful home situations and decided. To disobey you are responsible for what you do and the atmosphere you create with your words your attitude and your example your flesh wants to see obedient children submitted wives, loving husbands etc your spirit wants to see an atmosphere created that 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 nurtures obedience to God and follows his will so where do you fall? Do you fall on the side of flesh? Do you fall on the side of spirit? Are you always looking at what other people need to do? Or you're looking at what you need to do? If you get yourself in line to where you think you are, do you start to look outward? Well, now these people, I'm in line. But now these people need to get in line. I've always seen that, that the more in line I get myself, the more out of line I see that I can straighten up to. Oh, I didn't even realize that wasn't quite right. Oh, I need to get that that moved over. And uh, once we get that moved over, oh, wow, now I can see. Look at all these things. I need to get these things in line. And it, God always brings me back down to to what I need to be doing because it's my responsibility to set the example. It's my responsi- responsibility to create the atmosphere that people want to follow and then people can look and they can say, look at the life that this person has. That's the kind of lifestyle I want to have. That's the kind of life I want to have. And they may even come up to you and say how can I have the kind of peace, the kind of joy, the kind of love, the kind of victory that you have. But they see that because of what you demonstrate, not because of what you demand. Too many Christians, they want to demand things, they don't want to demonstrate. But that's what we're called to do. Jesus demonstrated. He showed His disciples what they could do. Well Father, we thank You that we can have victory over our flesh that we become servants of God. First and foremost, we see ourselves as the servants of God, bond servants. Just as James, just as Jude, just as Paul, this is so many stated, we are a bond servant of Jesus. So many times we've been exhorted that we are to become servants of God. I thank you for the help that you get us, that you give to us, to bring us to that place. To become what you say we can be. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.